Welcome to the Colander Medical Radio Show with Dr. Brian Colander, MD. Dr. Colander is a board-certified internal medicine physician who specializes in the assessment and treatment of artery disease. His medical practice is dedicated to the prevention of heart attack and stroke. This show is brought to you by Colander Medical. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cronin, and we're going to hear from Dr. Colander about his unique, personalized concierge practice and his plan for revolutionizing healthcare. His vision focuses on preventing the events that lead to all the catastrophic diseases of our time. Dr. Collander will explain to us about how and why we develop chronic systemic disease and the course we ought to take to prevent it. To find out more about how to avoid diabetes, Alzheimer's, heart attack and stroke, stay tuned and we'll be right back after this short break. Welcome to another edition of the Colander Medical Radio Show. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cronin, and we are here talking with Dr. Brian Colander, MD, board certified in internal medicine and specialist in artery disease. Dr. Colander is here with us talking about his personalized concierge practice and explaining the model of the relationship you ought to have with your primary care physician. He'll also tell us about the simple tests that are available and necessary, which aid to the prevention of heart attack and stroke. For more information, we're encouraging you to call Dr. Colander directly at 866-COLANDER. Again, that number is 866-K-O-L-E-N-D-E-R. Dr. Colander, welcome to the show. What is the latest news that people need to know about that need to know more about prevention? Well, thanks, Amory. Always the news is disease identification. That's always the news because it starts there. And of course, regular listeners will know that we start with identifying plaque because we are a heart attack and stroke prevention practice, and plaque is the disease that we want to treat. After we identify plaque or not, we start looking for what I call now the silent killers. And the number one silent killer is insulin resistance, which again, you've all heard about a lot, but a patient came in who I've known my whole career who's been with me, you know, 25 years. And interestingly, I'll say the patients that have been with me before I transitioned into the concierge and prevention model, they're the toughest to bring around because they knew me in the old days when I was a standard practitioner. Population medicine, right. And they look at me like, what are you doing to me? You know, I didn't, I'm not here for this. Right. You know, I just like you. Uh-huh. And getting them to recognize all of these new markers and um, changes that they have to make in their lives is a, a more of a challenge than with new patients who come in who, from the show uh, who know what they want because they've heard it and they say, this is what I want to do. Uh, plus, that's what I'm taking. You know, I, We're better explaining now what we do when people walk in to learn about the practice. So this gentleman comes in. I've known him for a long time. And his story is, uh, you know, there's history there. Um, part of it is he is a, a, a huge exercise fanatic. So he was training to do a triathlon, whether he did a triathlon or not, I'm not sure, but he trained like he was, he would run, he would bike and he would swim. He'd work out five hours a day and then come in and have horrible numbers. Is there a da- like any damage that could result from overexercising? Would that have been a driver for inflammation, perhaps? Well, that's a great question because 
there were some studies that came out a few years ago that too much exercise caused damage and maybe heart failure. But other heart studies failure? done... Heart failure? Whoa. That you don't recover from heart failure. You, you can, can. This you is can. like scary for the people that are listening in that are starting to exercise. If you get high, if you could get heart failure, there's no cure for heart failure. There's a, you know, there is a cure. I wouldn't say heart failure is a cure. It could be temporary. It can be, you know, just a fluid overload. It could be, um, but for some reason, again, I want to say that this is not the take home. That the take home is. For every level of fitness that you achieve, there's a reduction in cardiovascular risk. So I don't believe those studies. But for a time, there was some suggestion that high-level elite athletes were at risk for chronic disease because of, um, you know, I'm not sure what the mechanism was. Well, what do you mean by chronic disease? Well, heart risk failure. For like or let's just say heart failure. So this person, to answer your question... The problem with him was he wasn't spending time on his on the totality of a of a prevented program and lifestyle. He spent all his time exercising and no time making sure he was eating healthy, no time making sure he was managing his stress, um, making sure his home life was good, and that he was you know everything else went at the expense of exercising. A couple of years ago, before COVID, I told him stop working out. Like, when would I ever say that to somebody? You need to stop working out because you need to spend time chopping vegetables. And I say that based on knowing that he had severe insulin resistance. And you knew what his diet was like, obviously. It was terrible mm -hmm. back then. Mm -hmm. So this is maybe three years ago, maybe four, and he has a terrible diet. Can you define of, terrible? Oh, well, I guess sure. you're going to, yeah. A lot of pasta, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of rice, you know, he's a single guy. He's a, you know, he's a widower. His uh, wife passed. He's a, you know, single dad raising a son. And can I ask how old's the patient? He's uh, uh, 64. Uh huh. So, and you've had him for 20 years. Okay. Yeah. He, and, you know, so he's, you know, what do you do when you're a single guy? You make a lot of pasta and rice and throw some chicken in there. Well, that's dinner. Mm -hmm. You know, so it doesn't, it shouldn't be that way. It now, you know, we're, I spent, all these years educating him on eating and it had to get to the point where I had to tell him, I know you love exercising your whole life right now revolves around swimming two hours, biking three hours, running stop because this is not helping your health. And so another thing that we say all the time is don't make assumptions. Don't assume because you're exercising and you're in great cardiovascular shape that you you're being, you're healthy because he was in terrible my, from my levels, he was doing terrible. And he was diagnosed with insulin resistance. Even then. Okay. That's why I'm telling him, look, exercise is a big part of managing insulin resistance, but not when you don't do anything to manage your diet. It's two things. Don't eat sugar and burn sugar. Well, if you're, if you're just burning but not stopping the intake, you're not helping. And, and in his case, it was a big problem. So exercise isn't the sole answer to solving your health problem. Let's come back and talk about this on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Colander Medical Radio Show, and if you are interested in finding out more about today's topic or why you ought to be engaging with a concierge practice, please call Dr. Colander directly at 866-COLANDER. Again, that number is 866-K-O-L-E-N-D-E-R. You're listening to the Colander Medical Radio Show on News Talk 760 WJR.
Welcome back to the Colander Medical Radio Show. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cronin. We're here talking with Dr. Brian Colander, MD, board certified in internal medicine and specialist in artery disease. Dr. Colander is here with us talking about his personalized concierge practice and explaining the model of the relationship you ought to have with your primary care physician. He'll also tell us about the simple tests that are available and necessary, which aid to the prevention of heart attack and stroke. For more information, we're encouraging you to call Dr. Colander directly at 866-COLANDER. Again, that number is 866-K-O-L-E-N-D-E-R. Before we come back to Dr. Colander and his interesting story about a patient who was suffering from insulin resistance, I want to let you know the strange voice you heard was my co-host here, Siobhan Cronin, <laughs> who just weighed in. She normally doesn't do these uh, Sunday shows, but we are here, you know, broadcasting from Miami. And welcome, Siobhan. Thanks for being part of the show. Thank you. Anyway, um, let's come back, Dr. Collender. You had a very interesting patient, had him for 20 years. He thought that exercise was his ticket to all good things, and it was just simply not true. His, he obviously had problems with what he was eating and the rest of the rest of the story. Let's pick it up where you left off. Well, another misnomer that people make the mistake of doing is thinking that they can eat a ton of protein. So he comes in, again, missed COVID. You know, I had a lot of patients just skip a whole year in the practice from COVID. And so he comes in. I had not seen him in a long time. Now, I was still taking care of him by phone and remotely for problems that were happening. And that's another topic, but he's doing fine from all those other issues. He comes in with a totally different lifestyle, toned down exercise, and he's paid a lot of attention to his diet. And now he has much fewer carbs. I, I mean, I still graded his nutrition on our health risk assessment as high risk. Mm -hmm. And the reason is he's still eating fast food, although he was having a bean burrito at Taco Bell, and he looked at that as being vegan. You know, even though he's eating a ton of protein all day, he thought, well, I'm having a bean burrito, it's okay. I said, no, fast food is an automatic high-risk problem that cannot be tolerated, from me at least. Well, no one knows that, though. I mean, we you, you see these, uh, you know, when you go through these fast food places, and this is the the healthy aspect of it. And we just tend to believe it because we don't know any better. And just by the way, you know, during COVID, I noticed a lot of people on social media and friends of mine that thought that the best way to lose weight was to go on this keto diet. And right. That's an example of a lot of protein, right? That's so what, what might be the risks of that? Well, I can't say this patient was doing keto per se, because he's having a burrito, which is a lot Still of carbs, carbs in it. And he's having, but he, in his mind, he significantly reduced his carb intake by cutting out a lot of pasta, rice. But there's so much misinformation in marketing. You know, he's having brand cereal. And I, even though it's brand and it sounds high fiber and sounds and is marketed as, as healthy, the problem is it's still a processed food. You're eating something that was made and chemically manipulated into the shape that it's in, and those chemicals affect how your liver makes lipids, which generates and, and propagates insulin resistance. So he thinks he's doing... So are you saying that processed foods should be off the chart? Is that what Absolutely. you're saying? Absolutely. 100%. 100%. None of us should be eating chemicals. I agree. We are not 
whether you want to think we were created or evolved, we were not created or evolved to eat chemicals. Um, our body just does not do those things. And despite the fact that the FDA has approved these foods for our use and market them, allow the marketing to be made as healthy for us, unfortunately, this is just another example of FDA failing us miserably. All of these things, and you meant, you know, we talked about fast food. Fast food commercials have super healthy, happy families, at least appearing families on TV, and they go, oh, I can eat all this garbage or this food, and uh, look, I can be health, I can healthy appearing thin, and I'm out partying and getting a late night snack, you know, for a dollar, wherever it is. And, and unfortunately, that's also allowed by the FDA and the FTC um, to be put on the air. It's really false advertising. And yet it's approved false advertising by the FDA. So this is why it's so hard for people to know what to do. Like Amory, you always say, no one knows what to do. No one's telling people how to eat. And their cues are from marketing. Right. They certainly aren't hearing about it from their doctor. And all they see on TV and on the radio and movies is, hey, I can smoke and look cool. I can eat whatever I want and look, look good. And, um, and those are subliminal messages that carry on and unfortunately affect a population that's most at risk because they're eating that that's affordable food for them. And the lines are still excessively long and all the fast food drive throughs And when you get to looking at the menu, there's something on the menu that is, you know, indicates that this is the healthy choice. And it's not necessarily a healthy choice. Well, no one's there for the healthy choice. I mean, no one's at Popeye's Chicken, you know, to get to get anything but fried chicken. Not at chicken. Popeye's, right. but some of the other fast food well, places. Well, when you say the line, you know, I'm driving south on Telegraph, and there's a Popeye's at around 12 Mile, and the line extends into the road. So yeah, if you're right, in the right like lane, like right, yeah. you've got to leave a lane because huh. the fast food line is in the way of traffic. Yes, but this is a lifestyle problem because when I think about Europe or other countries, right, I mean, having a meal is a part of your day that you dedicate time to, right? So, which also reduces stress, I would imagine, right? In other cultures, you, you take time to eat your food. You're not driving through. You're not eating something fast while you're doing something else. Well, it's the Western culture. So when, you know, the, the Western diet, when it gets infiltrated into a country, into a different culture, those people, wherever they are in the world, start developing American illnesses that they didn't have before. So it's, you know, in Europe, you have healthier food. You don't have the chemicals. It's all organic. The animals are not being fed garbage. Right. You know, they're not being given hormones. So, you know, and it's not about how much can I eat? Can I eat two pounds of food at one sitting? It's it's like a, a foodie thing. You know, I'm going to have a bite of this. It's delicious. I'm going to have a bite of that. It's delicious. A bite of the third thing. Have a glass of wine or a coffee and I'm done. I got to walk home. Mm -hmm. That's a totally different lifestyle and that's healthy. And you can eat a rich meal when you're eating just two bites of it. So this patient switched to a high protein 
mixed fast food diet. And of course his... But he engineered it himself. He wrote it himself. He wasn't given it by anybody. So oh, not by me, certainly. And he's not skilled enough. No, none of these people, none of these people that are listening know anything about how to engineer their own diet. Well, ironically, you're saying engineer because he is an engineer. <laughs> well, and, and, this is where he failed. Okay. Right. So um, he's great at graphing all of his data. All, you know, the engineers, you can see them coming a mile away because all their data is graphed on their own charts right. and they've done it all themselves. And you just, you just okay, great. They So... Um, He's worse than ever. And, you know, his hemoglobin A1C is normal. This is the blood test that's used to identify diabetics. His blood sugar was a little high. And I'll say the breakdown in the lipids that I do look at to measure insulin resistance are off the charts. I mean, just worse than ever. And here he is, you know, he's not working out like he used to, and he's made all these, what I'm going to, you know, in air quotes, improvements in his diet and it's worse for him unfortunately what most people don't recognize is that if you have insulin resistance high protein may causes your liver to make more sugar you know the default is more sugar because the environment is already saturated with sugar it's all it knows to do um, your cells need to have metabolic flexibility and when you have insulin resistance, you lose that. You should be able to choose between carbohydrates or glucose, uh, protein and fats, and then your cell will decide what to do with those materials to make what they need to make. In, in insulin resistance, it's all sugar, and that's why we have problems. So the patient at insulin resistance, let's come back and talk about whether this can be cured and or avoided. In the meantime, we're going to have to take a quick break. You are listening to the Colander Medical Radio Show. And if you're interested in finding out more about today's topic or why you ought to be engaging with a concierge practice, please call Dr. Colander directly at 866-COLANDER. Again, that number is 866-K-O-L-E-N-D-E-R. You're listening to the Colander Medical Radio Show on News Talk 760 WJR. Welcome back to the Colander Medical Radio Show. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cronin, and we are here talking with Dr. Brian Colander, MD, board certified in internal medicine and specialist in artery disease. Dr. Colander is with us explaining his personalized concierge practice and explaining the model of the relationship you ought to have with your primary care physician. He's also going to talk to us about the simple tests that are available and necessary, which aid to the prevention of heart attack and stroke. For more information, we're encouraging you to call Dr. Colander directly at 866-COLANDER. Again, that number is 866-K-O-L-E-N-D-E-R. And before we come back to talking to Dr. Colander about his patient and what, how he helped his patient, we'd also like to remind listeners, Dr. Colander is live on Thursday at 7 o'clock from 7 to 8, right after Mitch Album. He's live and ready to take your calls. So please make sure that you call in and tune in to the Thursday show, 7 o'clock. Siobhan, you had a question actually over the break. Well, when we were, you we were talking about the case study of the patient and, you know, we kind of left off where he had changed his diet to what he believed to be an improvement from a mostly carb diet to proteins and some occasional fast food and how that didn't exactly help the insulin resistance problem. So maybe you can kind of tell, take us through what happened after that. Well, you know, when you're asking this question, I think the important thing to recognize is that we have the ability to rec follow the process and we're not running blindly, um, you know, because his, his lipids were terrible and we can put him on a, a medicine 
um, and we did, and he has been. But you know, if he was, we were worried about his heart. He would go have a stress test and do fine on it. You know, there's no traditional mechanism for following our progress at this level because he's he's not end stage. He's honestly working his way there, but. Um, you know, well, what he, do you mean he's working his way there? I mean, he's getting well, worse. Is that what you mean? He's getting worse because he's got a su- significant problem with a major driver of inflammation. So his insulin resistance is off the charts despite doing what he thinks is okay. Even though he's been my patient, he's doing his version of it, which is not effective enough. So um, the markers that I use are terrible. You know, they're worse than ever. There, and so I told him, I don't raise a red flag very often, but today we're raising it. We've got to throw the book at you. We're doing everything. There's no more tiptoeing in because that's how we want to do it. You know, engineers are what flip, you know, what switch do I got to flip for this to happen? They're very methodical, um, pragmatic. And unfortunately, your body doesn't work that way. You've got to do all of it because all of the conditions that drive inflammation are having an impact whether it's the major one or not, the idea that there's one thing to do uh, and that's going to solve your problem isn't realistic in medicine and prevention. Unfortunately, it's what we've been led to believe for 50 years. You have this problem, take this pill. You have another problem, take that pill. Third problem, take a third pill. The idea that there's a... But the pills don't cure it, so... They don't cure it at all. Right. It fails to recognize that there's an underlying condition inflammation driving all of these diseases and if you remove the sources of inflammation guess what you treat the problems that you're taking pill one two and three for and maybe you don't need those pills so how does he get rid of his inflammation well he's gonna have to finally buckle down and do the things that i've been asking him to do for five to ten years already and even though he doesn't want to do them he's gonna have to and he finally started learning to recognize that he can't do one single thing take one single pill or exercise his way out of it um for you've got to do both insulin resistance is a failure to metabolize sugar it means you need to not eat sugar and you need to use your muscles to burn the sugar that you have and in this person's case he was an extreme version of i'm just going to burn it and not and, and not stop eating it, and it didn't work at all. Mm-hmm. So you asked me, Anne Marie, about you know what is he, what's coming? Because I said he's on his way to chronic disease. Ironically, he barely has plaque. He has very little plaque, and his intima media measurements are barely elevated. What we I try to you know what's difficult to recognize is that having these silent killers, insulin resistance, sleep apnea, bad oral bacteria, um, all cause chronic disease without you having a symptom. Right. Without you having becoming diabetic. Mm-hmm. So if he was in another doctor, he'd been told, oh, you're pre-diabetic, don't worry about it. Or, you know, get the standard, eat better, exercise more, and you'll take care of it. Well, he's trying, and it's failing miserably. The, the, the resolution of the current tests that all of you have access to don't identify the changes in the situation. You need tests that have greater resolution to see the end product. Well, and, what's interesting here is you mentioned that he has 
little or no plaque and that he's obviously had the CT cardiac calcium scoring test. And he also had the CIMT, which not many people know about, and that his numbers were relatively low. Was that his what you were saying? His calcium score is zero. 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 And he has barely any plaque, but he has horrible insulin resistance. So this is the evolution of my practice. Three years ago, I would have said, don't bother. You know, you know I'd said, you're fine. You know, just... I really would have. I would have said, you know, barely a plaque, calcium score zero, keep what you're doing. But um, now, and even before, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just, I'm not really giving myself enough credit. Even then, it's, it's, you have a major driver of insulin resistance. His labs were always terrible. And now, wait, I'm going to stop you here. When you talk about labs, you're talking about blood tests. I'm talking about blood tests that. Um, again, I don't really care about lip, like your cholesterol levels. It's more about the patterns of the lipids that identify insulin resistance. And I look at lip, uh, lipid particle numbers that gauge insulin resistance. And sometimes I do other labs that are more direct at measuring insulin resistance. Okay, wait, I'm going to stop you here so we don't confuse the listeners. So if you're in a regular common garden variety, you know, internal medicine, primary care, physician practice. Are you, when you go to see your doctor once a year for your physical, maybe you get the CT cardiac calcium score. No, maybe, but that. my question to you is, do they do in the blood tests that they do in the regular physician's office measure insulin resistance? They're doing, they, so the doctor has some blood tests that they could infer insulin resistance from but so it can be diagnosed but they're not oh well that's they're the same thing right they're looking at it as the individual things like oh your triglycerides are high oh you know your a1c your your good cholesterol is low but that's genetic you can't do anything about it um the messaging is not there and it's not all tied together to say you have insulin resistance you're on the, this education doesn't occur because it can't happen in five minutes. You know, I spent an hour and a half and, and the whole hour and a half is tying in his story to the insulin resistance. I mean, I'm, I'm telling a story about his health in this hour and a half, all coming around the insulin resistance. So we're literally, even though we're talking about other things, I'm constantly looping it in to the messaging of, his lifestyle has to be in play, and this is why he's on medicine. So he's a rare person who doesn't have end-stage disease that I identify, but I'm still putting him on drugs, you know, like like drugs that prevent heart disease and stroke and lower insulin resistance, and even though it, it's a little, I'm so I'm being very aggressively managing him. I'm I'm kind of again adapting my own rules um, because I'm that's how afraid I am of his insulin resistance. I said, look, I don't, you may never have a heart attack or stroke, but I'm worried about you having Parkinson's one day. I'm worried about you having MS. I'm worried about you having dementia. So insulin resistance leads to a lot of other more dangerous things or just as dangerous as heart attack and stroke. More dangerous to me because I don't have an objective way to measure those conditions. The heart disease I can follow. I can't tell someone they're about to become Parkinson's. Right. That's the hard part. Wow. That's that's a big jump, and people really need to know the, what their scores are and how to get to find out whether or not they have insulin resistance. Let's come back and talk about this more on the other side of the break. 
If you're interested in finding out more about today's topic or why you ought to be engaging with a concierge practice, please call Dr. Colander directly at 866-COLANDER. Again, that number is 866-K-O-L-E-N-D-E-R. You're listening to the Colander Medical Radio Show on News Talk 760 WJR. Welcome back to the Colander Medical Radio Show. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cronin, and we're here talking with Dr. Brian Colander, MD, board certified in internal medicine and specialist in artery disease. Dr. Colander is with us explaining his personalized concierge practice and the model of the relationship you ought to have with your primary care physician. He's also talking about the simple tests that are available and necessary, which aid to the prevention of heart attack and stroke. For more information, we're asking you to call Dr. Colander directly at 866-COLANDER. Again, that number is 866-K-O-L-E-N-D-E-R. Dr. Collender, we're on the final segment of the show here. We're talking about a patient who was suffering from insulin resistance. It's a very common thing for patients to have. But my question to you over the break is, how easily is it detected by other primary care physicians? Can we slip through the cracks? Can it be missed? And what's the danger of it being missed? The danger is hiding for it to being missed because when you're in this current high volume practice, your doctor doesn't have the time to educate you about what insulin resistance is and how to manage it with lifestyle and whether or not you should be put on medications for insulin resistance. The problem with our healthcare system right now is that the condition isn't really recognized until it advances into diabetes. Now the so you FDA, have to become diabetic to find out you have insulin resistance. Right. So my patient who has severe insulin resistance has a normal hemoglobin A1C and a slightly elevated blood sugar, and I'm very worried about him. He wouldn't even be under any scrutiny by a, a regular primary care doctor because it just is below the radar. And they're going to describe the problems, again, as not an insulin resistance inflammation problem, but a, oh, you have an isolated triglyceride issue, you have this problem. You know, they're, it's, it's too compartmentalized. It's com- exactly, exactly. So, so what would the outcome have been for this patient? Had he been in one of the regular practices that don't pay attention, all the practices that don't pay attention to well, this type of diagnosis? To be honest, we're, the story is still being written, and I'm still worried about him because he's not doing what I'm asking him to do. Had he been elsewhere, there oh, would be, be no ignored. doctor be would ignored. be worried about him at all. Right. So He would be given a pass, right? Right. And he asked me these same things, actually. What if I was not with you and somebody else? Right. What would happen to me? I'd just say, you just... You'd probably have dementia in a few years, and Fine. no one would know why. And he's only 63, 64 years old. So, or develop Parkinson's. I have other patients who've, again, developed Parkinson's and, and they have high insulin resistance and they're not diabetic. It's from the diet, it's from the insulin resistance causing the Parkinson's. Are people aware of this? Is this a commonly known thing? Because I feel like if people knew, they would probably take it more seriously. If you're trying to practice prevention, then you're aware that Parkinson's is considered type 3 diabetes. But the patients, they, they're not aware of it. Well, if the, the doctor's barely aware, the patients sure, certainly aren't aware. You know, we talk about what do we do. You asked in the break, what, what's the answer? The answer is first, we have to let you know, listeners, what your doctor may not know is if your triglycerides are high, which a lot of yours are, then you have to consider yourself being insulin resistant. If your HDL, the good cholesterol is low, it's not genetic. You have a metabolic disorder affecting how you make lipids. That's a sign 
and you need to impact a, a much greater lifestyle change. If you have a elevated non-HDL cholesterol, and that's not every lipid panel gives you that number, but if yours does, then you need to think about being insulin resistant. If your family history has anybody... Wait, I gotta stop you here. It's the doctor that needs to be thinking about that. The patients and the listeners, most of them probably don't even know about these tests or what they all mean. That's the doctor's responsibility. They're all failing, everybody. I know, but this is really pathetic. So what we're saying is that every patient listening to this, because we can't cover everything in an hour, obviously, but you've used a patient of yours that you're working on, but you have a personalized practice that you're working one-on-one -on -one with. What about the rest of us out there? What about the rest of the people that are going to see their primary care physician? Do they need to ask the question or make the demand, I need to be tested for insulin resistance because it's more dangerous than anything else that's out there? Insulin resistance is probably the number one reason that heart attack and deaths are at a high number every year after year because it's been missed. That's probably the number one reason how is it that, possible in this country that our that system it can be fails. You, um, you know how to figure it out. Other doctors know how to figure it out. I mean, it can if be... If I figured it out, anybody can figure okay, it out. Okay, but why the are they line. not figuring it out? They, I, well, doctors have failed to leave the healthcare system, which is limiting their ability to help people. The system's broken, and if your doctor is taking your insurance, I hate to say it, they're failing you because they're they're getting reimbursed by a process that doesn't is not interested in you being healthy. So this is all about checking the boxes then when we get right down to it. It's all about the insurance company is controlling what tests we're and getting or FDA, not getting. And the FDA but setting guidelines. But we can't do anything about the FDA. Well, we can't do anything about the insurance companies either. Or but you your can doctor. do something about your doctor. You can get away from the doctor that's not being responsible for giving you the tests. And, you know, if someone in your life had a heart attack and died, you've got to look at that as a failure of primary care. Of course this it's isn't a failure. Like, I mean, it's expected now that people just die. Oh, it happened. There's no way to prevent it. Um, you know, we've told this other story a while ago, you know, that a doctor died. Um, you know, the family doesn't want to hear about it. Just They just want to think nothing could have done of it. But meanwhile, their kids ought to know, this guy you know, who died, his kids should know that something can be done. You know, let's not just assume it was his unhealthy lifestyle. Maybe he has a genetic marker. Maybe he had insulin resistance. Maybe he had elevated LPA. All of these things. They're all discoverable. Yes, And this country absolutely. has the medical technology and the means to diagnose these, uh, to avail themselves of these tests to discover whether or not a patient has insulin resistance. And certainly the medical technology is there. The doctors obviously are failing the patients because they must know the tests are out there. And it's incumbent upon every listener and every patient to know whether or not they have insulin resistance because it's leading to bad outcomes. Uh, 700,000 people died last year, according to CDC, from heart attack, and it's 100% preventable. So what's the answer? The doctor needs to step up to the plate. All, All doctors need to step up yeah, to the plate. No, this is a t the, you know, we talk about our healthcare system's broken, and we're tired of saying it that way. Now we're calling it is your doctor is failing to recognize that there's better ways to treat you because they're scared to leave the system. You've got to leave them if they won't do it. You've got to tell them to do it, practice this way. It's not that hard to do, you just, but it, you have to leave the, the, the but comfortable every doctor confines. Has, every doctor 
Every primary care doctor has the same availability of tests that you have, but they're not prescribing the tests for the patient and their patients are not finding out whether or not they have insulin resistance. They're not. They're not. Everyone's being missed. And that's why this is the number one reason why heart attack and stroke, uh, heart attack deaths are 650 to 700,000 a year uh, because it's mostly because of missing insulin resistance. And because of that, that's we big, can, uh, that, that's that's a big message today, missing insulin resistance. So I'm forced to use off-label generic drugs for diabetes to manage insulin resistance. And again, we can do it very successfully. We can repurpose old medications to help prevent heart attacks and strokes and manage insulin resistance as opposed to waiting for people to become diabetic to get the latest and greatest drugs. All of the drugs out there now reduce insulin resistance, except the FDA won't approve them unless you're diabetic. By that time, you've wow. had 20 years of disease. So you're, it's already too late. Okay, everybody listening, know what level of insulin resistance is if you, if you can get diagnosed, get to the right doctor. Unfortunately, we're out of time, and that wraps it up for the Colander Medical Radio Show on News Talk 760 WJR, sponsored by Colander Medical. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cronin, and again, I want to thank Dr. Colander for talking to us about taking charge of our health, being proactive, avoiding heart attack and stroke, and more importantly, what you can do to halt or reverse the process of chronic degenerative disease. It's never too late to start. For more information on today's show or to learn more about how you can engage with a personal primary care concierge practice, you should call Colander Medical directly at 866-COLANDER. Again, that number is 866-K-O-L-E-N-D-E-R. We hope that you've enjoyed the show and that you've become more aware of your options in preventing and reversing disease. Thanks to my co-host, Siobhan Cronin. Once again, you can reach out to Colander Medical at 866-COLANDER. And thank you for listening. Opinions heard in the preceding program are those of the host and guests and not those of Cumulus Media or WJR Radio.